I hope that is a truth that you will hold with you today. For those of you who are lonely, he will hold you fast. To you mothers who are struggling with homeschool, he will hold you fast. To your fathers, you fathers who are struggling with leadership in the home, he will hold you fast. Those of you who are feeling sick, maybe depressed or anxious, he will hold you fast. And it has been my prayer this week that that would be something you, that resonates in your heart as you go throughout your life, knowing he will hold you fast. I want us to take the scriptures uh, this morning and open them up. We didn't have a reading this morning because I am going to do the reading. And the reading is going to be um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And so what I want to do is is take this chapter now and, and read it out loud to you. And as I read it, maybe if you have a pencil or you're taking notes or whatever, what I love to do in my Bible, I'm not saying you need to do it in yours, is underline things and, and think about things and it helps me. And I would encourage you to do that even now as I read the passages that we have been looking at for the last number of weeks. And as I read, you pray and ask the Lord to um, impress some of these truths on your heart before we get to the scripture passage for this morning. So open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1. Let us read together. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let us pray. Lord, we pray this morning that you would speak to us in and through your word. Oh, there is power in the words that we have read. Because this is how you decided to communicate to us. And I pray, Lord, that we would say with your servants, speak, O Lord, for we are listening. In your precious name. Amen. There is a human reality that I want to, us to bring into our minds as we consider this scripture this morning. And here is the human reality. We as humans, we as human beings, we love to be loved. We as human beings, we like to be liked. We like to have friends. We like to have people who admire us. We like to have people to speak well of us. We love to be loved and we like to be liked as people. But for us as Christians, we need to have a bit of a reality check on this because the moment that we believe in Christ, the moment that we decide that we are going to follow Jesus, is the moment that we are accepting not everybody's going to love me and not everybody's going to like me. In fact, people may reject me because of him. And this is what I want young Christians to know all the time, is to know the cost of following Jesus. If you are going to follow Jesus, it means that you may be rejected by people. This was the reality in Jesus' life. He was chosen by God, yet rejected by men. So it is the reality in our life. We are chosen by God, but we are rejected by men. I remember um, this reality struck me quite significantly on my first day in college. I got to college. Um, I, had, I was a follower of Jesus, trusting in him, believing in him. And I knew I was going to have to make a stand the moment I was in college. And I sat down in the very first day. I sat down into class and, and everybody in the class wanted to go clubbing and drinking and get drunk and all, all that stuff. You know, it was kind of how, how you proved how much of, of a man you were and, and how fun you were if you went out. And when they invited me, I knew what I had to say. I knew I had to say no. And when I said no, I realized that reality. I'm not always going to be loved. I'm not always going to be liked. And we as Christians, we need to accept this reality. That in this world, we will be rejected. 
It's funny, you know, as I've encouraged us, and many of you have, I've, I've, I've encouraged us to invite people to, to Christianity, the basics on, on Wednesday night. And, and one of the things that kind of holds us back from inviting people is that reality. We know when I stick my neck out like this, I may be rejected. And that is the reality for us as Christians. We will be rejected in this world. We cannot escape that truth. But there is another truth that goes with that. Not only will we be hated, but we are deeply loved. And so the Christian in this world always lives in the midst of those two great realities. On the one hand, I am deeply loved. And on the other hand, I am deeply hated. And that is the life of a Christian. On the one hand, I am accepted by God. On the other hand, I am rejected by men. That is the life of a Christian. That is what you sign up for. And so we see these two realities for our lives in this first verse. It says this, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Here he describes us as believers in two ways. The first way is this. Beloved, you are the beloved. And some translations, unfortunately, translate that as, as dear friends. That, that is, is, not, is not the best of translations to have there. He is not saying dear friends. He is not talking about his relationship to them. When he says agapetoi, when he says beloved, he is also not saying his love toward them. Peter is not saying his love toward them. What is he talking about? When he says beloved, he is talking about God's love toward them. You are the beloved. This is how you are defined. Agape toy, beloved. And this is what he wants to resound in our ears before he goes to any other instruction in the rest of the letter that you are God's beloved. Just as God the Father said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So he says to you, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. We are the beloved. And we need to remember that. You know, why do we need to hear that again? Why do we need to hear that over and over again? Because we are people who are prone to forget. You know, I heard about this condition. There's this condition that I heard about this, this past week that I'd never heard about before. It's called hyperthymesia. I'd never heard about it before, but basically it is this condition. It's kind of unbelievable where, where people can remember every single detail of every life, every intimate detail of their past life, every day of their past life from the time of when they were teenagers. Every detail. And I kind of 
I looked it up, I kind of found that hard to believe that there could be these people. But scientists have found in history, they reckon they have 10 people, discovered 10 people, and they did all these tests and asked them what happened at this day, at this time, and, and straight away they had total recall, total memory of the past. Some saw it as a blessing, and of course, others see it as a curse. You can look it up if you want, Google it later if you want. This reality of people remembering every day of their past from when they were teenagers. And then I kind of giggled to myself and thought, I think we as Christians have the opposite problem. We forget almost every day of our past. We forget almost everything that God has done in our past. And as you look throughout the scriptures, that is what you are reminded of. God's people are a forgetful people. You remember God's people were grumbling in the wilderness. And they were asking, they were actually asking, can we go back to Egypt, into slavery? Can we go back there? And you're wondering, how are they forgetting this? Just like we forget it. You see, we forget that we are loved. And Peter wants to remind them of this. He brings back up this title so that you will remember, beloved, you are loved. You are greatly and sincerely and deeply loved. This is why it, it, it frustrates me so much that we don't get to share that time in the Lord's Supper each week. You know, I love that practice. To celebrate the Lord's Supper each and every week together. Because it forces me to remember in a picture type way, in an image, that I am his beloved. And you are. This is who you are. You are his beloved. And you might say, well, Shane, he's just using a word. You're, you're kind of just reading too much into that. But, but no, no, because this is not the first time he uses the word. This is going to be the first time he uses the word, but he uses it, uses it a second time in the letter. And the second time he uses it in the letter is in chapter four, verse 12. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And so what he does in, in chapter 2 verse 11 and what he does in chapter 4 verse 12 is he says to them this, Beloved, beloved. And so what does that tell you? That everything in between is to be seen in this context. Remember, when you hear all the commands and all the instructions in between chapter 2, verse 11 and chapter 4, verse 12, you need to remember this. You are beloved. This is the reality that we live in. We are the beloved. But there is also another reality of us for us, isn't there, as Christians? We are not only loved, but we are hated. We are not only accepted, but we are rejected. And we see that reality in another way that we are described. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. That's the description of God's people. You are beloved exiles. 
That's who you are. In other words, you are strangers. In other words, you are foreigners in this world. Another way to describe exiles, not only are we the beloved, but we're exiles. Another way to describe exiles is this. People who are living outside of their home. That's an exile. People who are living where they're not meant to be. People who are living in temporary housing. And this phrase, exiles, is something also that was used of one people group in this world before. And it was the Israelites. Just as we are called the chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so we are with them called exiles. And as you look throughout the grand scheme of Scripture, you see time and time and time again, God's people were always people without a home. God's people were always people who lived in exile. And as you trace this theme throughout Scripture in, in what is known as biblical theology, as you see the biblical theology of exile, you will realize that we too are a people without a home. You see, it all started back in the garden. Do you remember? Adam and Eve, they had a home. Their dwelling place was with God. And then they turned away from him. And they were exiled out of the garden. And from that moment on, humanity was without a home. And then along came Abraham and he was promised a home and yet he lived all his life in tents in exile. And the Israelites, there they were in captivity in Egypt, outside of their home, in exile. And then came the Assyrian Empire who dispersed God's people outside their home. And then came the Babylonian exile in, 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 in 1586 and took God's people out of their home to live in exile. This was always the truth of God's people. God's people were always living without a home. He's taking that language and he's saying to us spiritually, that's true for you too. In this world, you're living outside of your home. And guess what God's great and glorious plan is for you and me? God wants to bring us back home. That's the plan. God's plan is to bring us back into the garden. Back into the place where there is the tree of life. But until that day, we live as people outside of our home. And it's uncomfortable. It's hard. It's difficult. It's strange. But this is how we are to live. Have you ever stayed in someone else's house before? Everything feels strange. You don't quite know where everything is. You're, you're maybe minding the house or whatever. It just doesn't feel like home. You want to get back to your home. Well, this is what it's like. We're living in someone else's house the whole time. And we are longing 
and waiting to get home. And so as long as we live as exiles, we will be rejected, we will be despised, and we will be hated. Let that not be a surprise to us. So brother and sister, listen to me this morning. You are both beloved and you are hated. You are loved and you are hated. So what are we to do with those two realities? Well, there's two things I think we're to do with those two realities, according to these verses. Two things that we're to do with those realities. First, as loved people, we are called to hate. And second, as hated people, we are called to love. As loved people, we are called to hate. And as hated people, we are called to love. Look at this firstly with me. As loved people, we are called to hate. Look at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. As loved people, as loved people who are exiles and strangers in this world, we are called to hate. We are called in one sense. We are called to this picture in these verses. We are called to war. The Christian life is a life of battle. It is a life of warfare. And that is what this verse is saying. Abstain from these passions which are at war against your soul. Which are at war against your whole being. Every day when you wake up, you need to know this reality. You are at war. When you are in this place that is not your home, you are at war. You are in a battle, a spiritual battle, each and every single day. Make no mistake about it. You are in a battle today. Make no mistake about it. You are in a battle these last few weeks. And when you're in a battle, here's what you need to know. You need to know your enemy. In order to fight the fight of faith, you need to know who your enemy is. And so people may say, yes, I I know who my enemy is. It is the devil. It is Satan. And Peter would agree with you. Peter would say, yes, we do have an enemy. That is the devil. In fact, we're going to go through this when we get to chapter 5, verse 8, when he says this. Be sober minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Our enemy is the devil, and Peter recognizes that. And you and I, you and I, we need to recognize we are in a battle. Make no mistake about it. Satan hates marriage relationships. He wants to destroy them. He hates family relationships. He wants to destroy them. He hates church relationships. He wants to destroy them. Make no mistake about it. You are in a battle. Against the devil, but not only against him, not only is he our enemy, but then we we recognize, some people recognize that we are in a battle against the world. Jesus said this in John 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. 
People in this world will come against us. They will reject us. They will despise us and speak against us. When we say to them, Christianity, the basics, they will scoff and they will laugh and they will mock. We're in a battle. We're in a war. But what tends to happen, I think, as Christians, sometimes we think that that battle is always outside of us. It's always either the devil or the world. And what we forget is what it says in this text. Is that our battle is against the passions of the flesh. That's where our battle is against. So what we need to remember as Christians is is this on the one hand. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone and the new has come. I have been crucified in Christ Jesus. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Those are true statements. And yet, in the flesh, the old self is is gone, done, crucified at the cross. But the flesh tells us that we still have cravings. Here is what flesh means in this verse. That we still have sinful cravings, don't you? Yes, I've been crucified with Christ. Yes, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. But I still have the old cravings. And I will always still have the old cravings of sin until I am home in heaven. And so until that day, I am at war with the flesh. I am at war with the carnal cravings of my heart. There's a battle on. We need to realize that when you wake up in the morning, you will be hit by the reality of cravings. Cravings will, will come at you in the morning. Craving for breakfast, craving for coffee, Craving for your shower, maybe craving for your your run, craving to get out of the house. I don't know what it is, but it often happens. You realize all your cravings come when you wake up in the morning. What we need to remember is that we not only have the um, physical cravings in the morning. But we have fleshly cravings in the morning. The craving to satisfy our anger, the craving to satisfy our lusts, the craving to satisfy our pride and ambition. All of these cravings we are called to hate and make war against them each and every single morning. I am in a battle. I am in a war. So tomorrow morning when you wake up, you wake up ready for war. The devil wants to destroy you. The world wants to go against you and your flesh. Praise the Lord. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Praise the Lord that we have the victory in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. He is with us in this battle. And so we fight as loved people. We are called to hate. 
and as hated people, we are called to love. Listen to what it says in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And then in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. As hated people, we are called to love. Did you see that in verse 12? There's something that pops out at me in verse 12. It says this, so that when they speak against you, you as evil doers when they speak against you you know it, it it shocks me that as christians sometimes we are surprised when people speak badly about us we think that our job is that everybody will like us we need to put that to death our job is to please god our job is to please jesus and the reality is people will speak badly against us. This is what it says in the text. When they do, we will be hated people because we are strangers. It was interesting to me the very first time I went to Brazil, to Luana's hometown. You know, I was... Um, you know, this, this, this skinny, skinny young man, um, white pasty skin, um, believe it or not, long, longish blonde hair, um, at the time. And I remember going into the, the town, Luana's, Luana's hometown is like this small, um, rural town in, in Brazil, kind of two hours outside of the, the main city. And I remember when we arrived there, apparently our arrival was announced on, you know, the local radio station. And 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 then I remember like going at, when I went to the shops or when I went for a swim or when I went to go out and play play soccer, it, it felt like everybody was watching me. Why? Because I'm this like pasty white Irish blonde boy in the middle of this Brazilian town. I, I look different. I stood out and I was being watched like a hawk. Why? Because I was a stranger. I was an exile. I was outside of my home. So it is for us believers. In this world, you will be watched more closely than anybody else. You will be watched more closely by your neighbors. You will be watched more closely by your work colleagues. You will be watched more closely in this world. And people are going to watch you more closely in order to find some evidence in which they can speak against you as evildoers. But when they do, what are we supposed to do? You know, there's certain reactions we can have when people speak evil against us. One of the reactions I think we can have when, when people speak evil against us is that we want to defend ourselves. We want to defend ourselves. I remember one time I was speaking at this, um, at this conference and I, I didn't realize, but someone recorded some of what I had said on, on, on their phone and they posted it out onto social media, onto a, a big platform. And I got posted on this, this platform and, and I didn't know. I only found out later and, and it was fine. I was kind of okay with it because, 
you know, the bit of what I said, was I believed it, I, I held by it. I would have preferred everything to have been in context, but, you know, um, that's just the reality of these things. And so it was posted. And I remember looking onto that post and I remember seeing this, this really, really negative comment that in my mind took my words out of context. And you know what my first reaction was to that comment? My first reaction was, I want to defend myself. I'm going to defend myself. But I don't think that always needs to be the reaction of the Christian. When people speak evil against us just to defend ourselves. The other reaction we can have is is to kind of withdraw ourselves. When, when people speak evilly against us, we kind of, we kind of cower back and cower away and we don't speak anymore and we don't go out in public anymore just in case. And so we withdraw ourselves. So either we defend ourselves or we withdraw ourselves. But I don't think we should do either of those things primarily to defend ourselves or withdraw ourselves. I think this text tells us what we are to do. Not to defend ourselves, not to withdraw ourselves, but to conduct ourselves honorably in this world. So that when they see our good deeds, they may glorify God on the day of visitation. That when they want to speak evil against us, all they will see is our good actions and our good contributions towards society. And they will see those good deeds. And when the Lord Jesus comes back, they will be glorifying him with us. That's what we want. That's why we are called to do good things in this world. So that when people see them, they will glorify God. And that's what we want, isn't it? And sometimes people have a misreading of this concept and these good deeds and and how we're to do them and how people will see them. I don't know if you heard the phrase and maybe you've said it and maybe you've heard um, other Christians say it. But the phrase goes like this. Preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Now, now, some people, when they hear that statement, it sounds good. It sounds catchy. It sounds right. And it sounds good in accordance with even this verse. Preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. Those words were attributed to Francis of Assisi. And I don't. Uh, there's no evidence, no evidence that he actually said it. What I think it is, is a Christian catchphrase that we we kind of have that's not right at all. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And I'll tell you why it doesn't make any sense. We need to see this verse in Scripture in the context of the other verses that we have gone through. Do you remember why we are called God's chosen people and and his royal priesthood and his holy nation and his possession? Why were we called those things? Verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of God. That's why. That we might proclaim. This is why we are given all these titles. That we might speak the gospel. That's what proclamation is in, in, in that verse. It is speaking words. Therefore, you cannot, you cannot, this is why it's ridiculous. You cannot speak the gospel without saying words. 
The gospel, by very definition, is good news. It's news. It's to be heralded. When Jesus came into this world and he preached, he preached the good news. You have to use words. Yet, if you use words and you do not have action, are you preaching the gospel? No, you're defaming the gospel. And if you try and say, oh, well, the gospel is just about action and no words, you're not speaking the gospel at all. You see, because how are people going to know? How are people going to know the reason behind why you do those good things? How are they going to glorify God if all they see is the good things? The only way they're going to glorify God is if you tell them, I love Jesus and this is why I'm doing it. And so this is what we are called to, brothers and sisters. As hated people, we are called to love. We are called to good deeds and good works. And so this is the theme. These verses show us the theme of what Peter is trying to get across to this persecuted people. Here's the theme. You are loved and you are hated. And now here is how I want you to live. And so that's what he's going to go through in the rest of this letter. You as loved people and hated people, here is how you are to respond to the government. You as loved people and you as hated people, here is what you are to do as, as masters and servants. As loved and as hated people, here is what you are to do as husband and wife. In this society, you will always be deeply loved and deeply hated. And so... As loved people, we are called to hate the things of the flesh. And as hated people, we are called to love the people of the world. And let us live out our calling, brothers and sisters. So what I want us to do is respond together by singing together how deep the Father's love for us. So let us sing that now together, how deep the Father's love for us.